A million great ideas die instantly every day because they lack a plan or funding or you name it. We need more conversations about the soul inside the idea. The wind blows warm at a quarter to five. The sky's still dark, but my mind's alive. You lay beside me, dreaming of the sea. At least that's what it looks like to me. I'm Mark Ackler. At this stage in my life and career, the guiding principles I use are joyful innovation, building community, and teaching and practicing empathy. Welcome to The Real Work, presented by UBS, a show that gets to the heart and soul of building the pathways to making something, well, real. The voices you'll hear here are humble and honest, self-critical and strong. Like Neil Salz Griffin, a self-taught coder, turned mentor, and diversity innovator. Neil is even driving fresh thought on accountability in government. I want a leader who's going to make me feel like I'm a part of a city and a community that's going to be well taken care of and not punished. In this episode, important lessons on accelerating the solutions to everyday problems. I'm Mark Eckler. Let's get to the real work. It's good to see you. I, I, I miss you from afar. I know I'll see you soon back in Chicago. But uh, yeah, this is, um, this is a pleasure. Just curious, do you still think about having an office at Chicago City Hall? Well, I'll give the spoiler alert up front. I think Mark's alluding to the fact that I ran for mayor in the last election cycle four years ago. And I voted for you. <laughs> One of the few. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate you, Mark. Um, but there was it was interesting because while there were 14 candidates, you know, the reason I ran was 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 a little, you know, nuanced and somewhat complex as far as, you know, my likelihood of winning. That being said, it was less about winning and more about exploring the issues and having a voice, being heard and inspiring other people that they can do it too. And we accomplished all of that and more. So I'm really proud of that. As an entrepreneur and as an investor, one of the things that's really important, especially for early stage founders, are KPIs, key performance indicators. And you've had this dream of connecting political campaign promises to KPIs. So you talked with Mayor Lori Lightfoot about KPIs before she was elected. How did her administration do? I think it's been really hard. Um, I think it's hard to follow through on that as it is with you know many politicians or people who get into politics. And I think given the amount of complexity that she faced and the amount of turnover that has been experienced in her administration, along with a lot of the unforeseen issues that came up almost right away, including COVID, right? Like COVID was a big like wrench in the system for, for progress. And any mayor in any city, but especially in Chicago, is left with nothing but bad or worse decisions to make. So it's a thankless job. I have a lot of empathy uh, for her and anyone in, in those types of positions where Basically, the you know no one's going to thank you or appreciate you for any decision you make. They're just going to you know either vilify you or be frustrated with you or dissatisfied. But you know, just being candid, I think you know there's definitely room for improvement as a leader. Like even during COVID, I remember just not feeling inspired by our mayor in a way that I would like to be. I want a leader who's going to make me feel like I'm a part of a city and a community that's going to be well taken care of and not punished. And I think there was more punisher energy than there was like love and caring <laughs> in some of the narratives. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And I, I agree. It can't be easy, but that's a job. You know, I know you've been focused a lot on policy. Part of the policy that you've been working on 
just a, just about core structure, how Chicago is governed and what kind of system we have and the ward structure and yes. the fact that we don't have a charter. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to, and I can finally talk about it. I've been working on it for many, many years. So um, the, yeah. the reason I even decided to run for office in the first place is because I read the municipal code and uh, had an opportunity to start to make sense of it, get some people's advice on how it worked. And the more I realized how archaic Chicago's systemic structure is from a you know, municipal structure standpoint, the more I realized, like, okay, this is what actually needs to change. We can elect any mayor we want. Yeah, but, 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 yeah go ahead, Mark. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. But, but by the way, for our listeners, I, I just want to dial back one second. Sure. You just said, I read the municipal code. <laughs> no politician ever reads the municipal code. <laughs> Like, how'd you do that? So it's online. Anyone can pull it up. It's publicly available and accessible. And I was delighted to realize that it was. And I don't know. I think part of it became my disposition and background as a software programmer. So I'm self-taught software engineer, and I learned how to code. And in doing so, the first thing you do when you want to make any progress with either learning a language or implementing a system is you read the documentation. So I just started with that that habit. I said, "All right, where are the docs? Like, how does this system work? This is the city is a system. Let me understand the system. What are the rules? Once I understand the rules, I can figure out what needs to change and what needs to be improved. And uh, that is exactly what I did. So, I, I love that you did that. All right. So now, towards a position of hope, you think there's some positive change that can come from this. One hundred percent. So I'll give a couple examples and and hopefully that'll be accessible to to folks. Um, New York City had a charter reform where they rewrote and improved upon their government processes and systems in this way in the 1980s. L.A. did a similar thing in the 90s. The last time Chicago did it was, I believe, between 1907 and 1914, sometime in that window. So over 100 years ago. So that's the last time we've had that kind of uh, structural improvement and uh, reform. And here we are as a city with, you know, unlimited campaign contributions effectively. You know, we have way more aldermanic positions than we need. And it puts us in a position where a lot of the precedent in Chicago for how business gets done within government is more about the past and just how we've always done things. And it's less about what the best thing is or what the right thing would be. So there's lots of specifics around campaign finance reform, term limits, rooting out corruption, budgetary transparency, and layers and layers and layers of things that we could do to hold the city more accountable just by using sunlight to disinfect, by revealing what things are more so and mandating that our representatives divulge more about what happens and in, 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 in what decisions get made by whom. There's a there's a long list there, but I'm planning to wage a campaign to you know have this conversation with the entire city population in Chicago. Amen, brother. So you know, entrenched powers are entrenched for a reason. It's not easy being a change agent. So like, how do you do that? How do you build a coalition of support? And are is there enough energy and enthusiasm to overcome the inertia and complacency? So I'll, t- I'll share my approach. I don't know if this is the right approach for anyone listening and what they want to do, but I'll tell you my strategy because I am, as they say in poker, pot committed. <laughs> so 
Uh, I'm in Chicago. I love this city. It's it's always been my home. I know it's Mark's home too, which is you know how he and I initially connected. And because I have such a long term view of progress for Chicago, I'm not worried about the short term anymore. I was for a while. I was cycle to cycle obsessive over who's going to be next and what's going on here and there. But like, so long as we're making progress in the long, long term, so that the children I hope to have or the grandchildren I hope to eventually have are in this city and able to, you know, live in it, prosper in it and feel safe and protected, happy and well-educated. That is, that is really the intent here. So, so long as you commit to that very long-term outlook, then every, you know, bump along the way that, you know, obstacle you face to make progress, to make Chicago a better city, it's, it's just a temporary challenge to overcome. So we formed a nonprofit last year, to begin to do this work and get some support from some policy experts and community folks and many other people like that. And the former inspector general in the city of Chicago, his name is Joe Ferguson, is uh, the leader of this organization. And there's no one better with more experience, I think, in Chicago um, to be a part of that change than him. So given the people I've surrounded myself with to make this change happen and realize, I'm pretty humbled to be, you know, I, I joke that I'm a bit of a shadow broker when it comes to Chicago's progress, but I'm I'm out in the open as well. Like I, I just kind of get to be behind the scenes and less of a candidate and more of a, a systems thinker and able to contribute to actually making the policy changes happen. My conversation with Neil Sows Griffin continues in a minute. I'm really proud to partner with UBS again. This time on the Real Work Podcast. It's a rich relationship that began with sharing the story of the book I co-wrote with Mirta Sherry called Exit Right. Exit Right teaches where deals get into trouble, how to create alignment between negotiating parties, and what terms of a deal you should care about most. As a leading global wealth manager, UBS knows how to work with entrepreneurs and business owners at all stages of their journey and legacy. In fact, their purpose statement is reimagining the power of investing, connecting people for a better world. Empathy matters. Let's face it, starting and growing a business is hard. It's why UBS reminds their clients to begin with the end in mind, as their legacies often become intertwined with their companies. To learn more and find an advisor near you, go to UBS.com slash business services. UBS.com slash business services. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG, member FINRA SIPC. You know, one of the one of the questions I ask everybody is if there was one word to describe you, to, to describe like who you are at the core, what do you think that one word would be? Thank you for asking this question. Obviously, I think the best answer is going to be from someone else saying that about me, but I'll give you my my version, whatever version I can think of now. <laughs> um grateful. Yeah. When I was thinking about asking you this question, I was thinking about how would I answer that for you? 
And gratitude was one, one word that came, uh, humility, but also optimism. What you just said about the future of the city, a longer term point of view and perspective. And, you know, you're such a selfless giving person, but it's anchored in optimism. So if, if any of our listeners wanted to uh, get more involved or help in any way or make a donation to, to the, like, how would they do that? Where would you direct them? R-E-C-H-I-C-A-G-O dot O-R-G. It is a rough prototype of a website, but it is up. But that's how you can get involved. And you can obviously reach out to me directly as well. I'll share my contact info. I'm neil at techstars.com. We need anyone and everyone to get involved in this. I want everyone in Chicago to realize how much power they have because you have much more than you think. Yeah, it's overwhelming sometimes Like to, to just conceive that you can make fundamental policy change one individual is really hard, but together we can. Mm -hmm. If you're listening and you love Chicago, like we love Chicago, you know, get involved. Don't just sit back, lean in. So Neil, you mentioned Techstars. Tell us a little bit about Techstars. What is it? What's your role? You always have lots of balls up yeah, in there. A few pots on the stove. You yeah, know? exactly. Full course meal. So you're doing more than just Techstars too. You're also investing in and helping entrepreneurs uh, coming from different backgrounds and perspectives and voices. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Sure. So uh, I joined Techstars, which is a global uh, accelerator and investment for, uh, firm uh, that's been around since the mid-2000s. Um, they were one of the pioneers of the accelerator model for startups to kind of get their start under a three-month accelerated kind of programming and educational and mentorship process. I've been involved with Techstars Chicago in its variety of forms since it was founded back in 2010, as were you, Mark, um, with Accelerate Labs and then becoming Techstars Chicago. And then I joined as managing director almost four years ago now. And um, since then, I've made over 60 investments. I've run five programs and I'm going into my sixth program, 12 companies per. Wow. And um, it has been one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life because you get to literally change people's lives by not only investing a significant amount of capital into their business, but you're also becoming very close friends with these people who are dreaming of changing the world with their idea that they want to help other people with. So yeah, I spend most of my time finding, interacting with, meeting, and then supporting great people who want change to happen in and around and beyond Chicago. So they come to Chicago with their business or they already have their business in Chicago. And then when I work with them through Techstars, we try to support them to help them figure out how to reach more people and, and grow their business even more. So that's Techstars in Chicago, but there's a larger initiative going on globally with this company where their intent is to kind of scale and expand and implement more of these programs with the same kind of strength and support that we have in Chicago for our entrepreneurship community. So there's many communities all over the world that are being supported and invested in through Techstars now, um, which is a really cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, but you, you're not only the managing director of Techstars in Chicago, you're also making some investments as well. So talk about that. Well, one, I got my real venture chops working at math uh, alongside Mark and Troy and Dana and the rest of the wonderful math team. So I learned a lot about venture there. 
I have a little bit of a background in venture, having worked in it many years ago, over a decade ago. I worked at a couple companies in Chicago, Sandbox Industries and OCA Ventures. But I uh, raised my own fund recently through Techstars and with their support called Rising Stars. And the point of this fund is to support founders of color who are underrepresented in the United States who, like me, did not have a network of friends or family or anyone else who could write them that first check to help them get started with their idea. Now, it's not a large fund, just around and under $8 million, but that money doesn't need to be massive to make a massive difference. Even a small amount invested into the right entrepreneur who's not sure that they can you know, jump ship and quit their job quite yet or take that first leap to prototype that initial version of their 1.0 of the software that they want to build or make that first key hire for them to move forward and make progress because they're lacking expertise to move forward with a concept that they validated. These are the entrepreneurs that I'm looking for can help now, in addition to putting uh, more developed founders through my accelerator program. So it's a real privilege to both be a pre-seed investor, but also a pre-accelerator investor through Techstars and also just you know, spending lots of time as an individual now, becoming my own mentor, investor, you know, supporter in the community too. Well, you, you've had such an interesting journey through many different facets of a career. And you're only, how old are you? 34? How, how old? 35. 35. You're like, <laughs> like, man, he's packed a ton in there. And my question is, when you went into Techstars, now that you're five years in, how is the reality different than your expectations going in? What have you learned? I've learned a lot. Um, so I'll try to summarize and I'll, maybe I'll, I'll use a couple examples of some key insights. So I think the first thing that comes to mind that I learned is we say at the early stage that it's about investing in people. Like that's the, you know, that's like a kind of a known you know, insight. I was shocked at how disproportionately important the person or the people you're investing in are. Like, I'm like tripling down on that insight. Like, I was like, yeah, it's the people. No, no, no. It is the people. Okay. Like, the the ideas are going to whip all around. Life is going to happen. Circumstances will change. Things outside of your control will come into play. It is the human being who wakes up in the morning, who sets out on the journey to make progress and make the world better, who you're truly betting on. And you will do yourself a disservice as an investor if you do not take the time to understand the human beings that you are you know, getting involved with, to work with. And I have learned both easy ways and hard ways yeah. that lesson. Yeah. And uh, that is probably the most important insight. Yeah. You know, there's that old saying, is it the jockey or the horse? And, you know, my God, it's always the people. Like, it's just, it's just always is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it. But, you know, you said another question I ask my guests, one of the things that you just said is, uh, when you wake up in the morning, what makes you smile? Mm. So I used to force a smile. Oh. Um, when I was in high school, I probably uh, went a bit too far in my training as an athlete, playing football and running track and field. 
and I and I and I learned I learned many years later that there's research that actually supports this. But I would work out, I would go to school, have football practice, drive out to the south suburbs in Chicago, and have a secret secondary practice. And then I would eat dinner, go home, and it's eleven or ten o'clock at night, and I haven't done my homework yet. I have to get to school by seven thirty a.m. So that meant I had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning <sighs> to do my homework before going to school. So when you wake up at four o'clock in the morning after you're training all day the day before and you get home late at night, then the last thing you want to do when you wake up is do homework. So what I did when I woke up in the morning is I forced myself to smile. Ah. Like I would just cheese as hard as I could. And like that like kind of got me like to wake up in the cold Chicago winter. And um I didn't know what I was doing or why I did it, but it always helped me get started. Turns out by smiling in the morning, there's like some significant health benefits and it gets you started and it wakes you up. So that was actually a good thing. So what makes me smile now when I wake up in the morning is uh, whenever I look at my day, whether there's nothing on the calendar or whether it's full of stuff and it looks like Tetris, it's always in service and support of other people. Yes. And there's just, there's just things that I get to do to be helpful to others. I'm not, I'm never at a loss for, do I have something I can do to help someone else today? No, there's always something to do. That's right. And because I know that's true, I'm always happy because that's what makes me most happy in this world is finding ways to be in service to others. That's where I find my joy. Ah, that's beautiful. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I have a framework that I use, um, how I, I construct my life now, which is joyful innovation, building community, and teaching empathy. And I do that. You know, I, I think innovation is really hard, but it should be fun. Like if you're not, if it's not fun, it's not that it's always fun, but but there should be sparks of joy. And I do that by every day. You and I both we're always helping entrepreneurs. I think building community is really important, like you said about the city of Chicago or helping entrepreneurs and empathy, like empathy is the secret weapon, right? Empathy, the more you understand somebody. And so for me, it's whether I'm helping entrepreneurs or I'm teaching like you, you also teach at Northwestern and, uh, and all the nonprofit work we do, like that's joyful. Could agree more. Yeah. So, we grew up yeah, roughly in, in the same area. Southsiders. Southsiders. That's it, man. That's so cool. Yeah. What was it like growing up uh, on the South Side for you? It was beautiful. I mean, uh, obviously, there's a lot of hard things that yeah. probably come to mind for a lot of people who think of Chicago. And that's all true. That's real. Um, there's a lot of I, – I, so part of my optimism and gratitude, Mark, comes from a quote from somebody who shall not be named. Uh, as of recent because of some of the things that he's been saying that make things hard to support him, but wasn't supposed to make it past 25 jokes on you. We still alive. Um, That's one of my favorite lines. And the reason being is that there were plenty of moments and experiences growing up where I think things could have been very different for me where either I could no longer be here or I would be doing something very different than what I'm doing now. So the fact that I was able to kind of experience 
you know, some amount of hardship growing up in Chicago, like many other young people do growing up here, but at the same time have access to a diverse community of people by being, you know, a stone's throw from Hyde Park, being able to go to school there, by meeting people who looked very different than me early on in my life, challenged my perspective and brought different points of view into my world view. Yeah, I, I, I feel blessed that I had the opportunities that I did to earn my way into university and get to Northwestern because, um, you know, my dad was a cop for 31 years in Chicago. My mom taught at Chicago Public Schools. Um, she was a, a teaching assistant in the special education program. And uh, I saw how hard it was for them because they weren't together. So I kind of had to split time between, you know, living with my dad and my mom and it was just a lot of complexity and we have a huge family and, and everyone's beautiful and awesome and lovely, but also we, we've been through a lot of struggle and hardship in our lives as a family. So with all that being said, I look at Chicago as a place where I see nothing but hope and optimism because one, I learned that from my mom mm. because she is relentlessly optimistic and she's been through more than I've been through in my life as far as hardship. And, uh, you know, being a chip off the old block, I guess, from her. Yeah the way she was able to get through all the pain and suffering that she's experienced is by having a positive mindset about what's good about the world and what she can do to make things better every day. So I credit her a lot for that optimism and positivity. Yeah. By the way, I, I love your mom. She, she is yeah. a very special person. Thank you. Mama Linda. She's there. She's yeah. She's, she's made a name for herself. I think she has a lot of uh, people who care about her and support her in Chicago. It's great. Indeed. Any parting thoughts? Anything you want to share? Like, what's what's going on in your brain these days? So I don't know who's on the other end of this, Mark, but any person who has the gift and the awareness to know, to listen in and tune in to your podcast or conversation yeah. has to be one of the real ones. Like, has to be somebody that I know I could be friends with because... Um, I'm super grateful every chance I get to interact with you, learn from you and talk to you. And, um, I, it's, it's just bizarre to me that over, you know, the past 10, 15 years being in the Chicago ecosystem as an adult that, um, you know, we get to be friends and we get to collaborate and I get to learn from you. So I just want to express some gratitude first of all, but second of all, I want you all to know whoever's listening that like, thank you all for being here. Thank you for like tuning in. And I hope that between Mark, myself, and every other guest he has on this podcast, that we all find ways to help each other and to continue to be kind and send love into the world. Because that is something that Mark has always done since the day I met him. And that is something that has always inspired me to choose to be good and to do good every day. So, so long as we keep that same message going with whatever you choose to do in your life, and we find ways to support each other as we try to make progress and make this world a little bit better. I think uh, I think we just might make it through all the madness. The wind blows warm at a quarter to five. The sky's still dark, but my mind's alive. You lay beside me, dreaming of the sea. At least that's what it looks like to me. That's what it looks like to me. That's what it looks like to our show. If you like what you heard, spread the word across your social channels. The real work 
presented by UBS, is a noteworthy original podcast. The executive producer is Kristen Tews. Our show is produced by Todd Manley, and the theme music was created by my dear friend, the great Peter Himmelman. I'm Mark Ackler. Thanks for listening.